Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Theatrical Mustang Podcast. My name is Woodzik, and my pronouns are they, them, and theirs. This is episode 152 with Sav Souza. Sav is amazing. They're on the current tour of 1776. They were in the Broadway version as well. And we talk about not only their current tour, but the new musical that they are co-developing called We Start in Manhattan. And so this is just a very full podcast of queer and trans things, and it brought me a lot of joy. I hope it brings you some joy, too. If you enjoy this podcast, you'll probably enjoy The Subtext, which is the other independently produced podcast distributed by American Theatre Magazine. Just go to the American Theatre website, click on the Listen tab, and you will see all things podcasts. And with that, please sit back, relax, and enjoy episode 152 with Sav Souza. All right, friends, I'm really excited to welcome to the podcast, Sav Souza. Hello! Hey, how's it going? Oh, it's great. I'm so excited to have you with us today. I know it's, I've said excited twice and I need to use other vocab words, but excited is really only the word that's coming to mind right now. So excited um, is a really valuable word. It, it, it's really effective. It is. And I think we say, we say that we're excited a lot more than we truly mean that we're excited. And so true. we got all the, just like all the queer electrons within me are like, yeah, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I want to talk about how uh, how I first was introduced to your work. I say this without being hyperbolic. The most enjoyable performance I have ever seen in my life, and I have seen hundreds, was a little show called Sweeney Todd. <laughs> and I don't know, is it, was it the flaming barber of Fleek Street or was it? Yes, still? it was. I remember. It, exactly. That's exactly right. Uh, so that Unforgettable. is unforgettable. I'm going to pass the baton to you. Tell us about this show. It sincerely holds the place in my heart as the favorite thing I've ever seen. So tell oh my gosh. Me about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, this was uh, one of the first productions of um, a production company in Philly called Jaffe St. Queer Productions. Uh, and the show was written and uh, sort of helmed by uh, this incredible performer and drag queen in Philadelphia named Eric Jaffe, who's a dear friend of mine. And um I was fresh out of college and, you know, working my first year as a professional in the Philly theater scene. And um, I had met Eric through some various gigs and kind of like the nightlife scene in the city. And um, I, <laughs> Eric started writing this, this amazingly queer spoof of Sweeney Todd, um, where, uh, uh, where Sweeney, in this case known as Sweeney Todd was a um, like flaming homosexual man um, and his wife, Mrs. Lovett was in this case played by a drag queen, which was Eric, who did one of the most, uh, you know, re remarkable Mrs. Uh, remarkable Mrs. Lovett performances that I've ever seen. Yes. Um, and I had the incredible pleasure of playing, uh, Anthony and I, uh, in this version, um, you know, the, Anthony is the kind of, you know, sort of like male love interest with the, this younger uh, damsel in distress character, uh, Joanna. And in this production, Joanna was named Banana. Um, and I had the immense gift of singing a parody of the the incredible, like, classic, Sweeney, uh, excuse me, Sweeney Todd song called Joanna. But in this case, it was called Banana. Um, and so the lyrics, in, you know, entailed, like, I'll peel you, Banana. Um and you know, uh, hysterical uh, other hysterical puns like that. And um, so I, I sang the whole song to Banana, and then at the end, I would pull a banana out of my pants, um, peel it, and proceed to deep throat it and eat it on the last note of the song. Um, which was, I, I will say, I think will remain the highlight of my career until like the until I retire. Like I, I don't even know like what, what could possibly top it. Yes. Just big yes um, to all the things. So our intersection starts <laughs> there, but you have been doing so many amazing things since then, 
in addition to being an incredible performer, you are also creating uh, a new musical called We Start in Manhattan. And I would love for you to tell us, uh, our listeners, more about that. I know there's been sort of a workshop performance and uh, tell folks about it and how they can support uh, the incubation process moving forward. Yeah, absolutely. So um, I'm writing this musical, We Start in Manhattan, with my uh, real-life partner, Ariella Soror. Um, we, are t- we are a queer non-binary couple, and we um, are, we essentially, while we've simultaneously kind of made our Broadway debuts together in 1776, which is, you know, we'll get into that later, a whole other whirlwind of the story, um, we've been, you know, kind of doing double duty, working uh, to write in a lot of our downtime to develop this show. And it's a show that comes from, um, it's it's really from our hearts in that it is uh, sort of uh, very loosely, the, the premise is very loosely based off of the way that our relationship started. Um, and and we are, um, you know, we are trying to create a, a musical that is inherently non-binary and, and so deeply, thoroughly queer and is, you know, taking up space in the theatrical canon um, in terms of creating material and opportunities and roles for queer and trans people that there's like a giant hole currently. Um, And so we're hoping to, you know, uh, fill that with queer joy and intimacy and love and like, um, and pleasure and, 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 and all of, all of these things that feel good and are, and are so much a, um, an instrumental part of the queer experience that uh, we unfortunately don't see represented on stages quite yet. Um, So, uh, this musical is a two-person musical. It's a one-act, and um, it's got this amazing um, contemporary musical theater pop, like folky score. That um, I, I write the book and lyrics, and Ariella does the music, and you know we both kind of cross collaborate on on all of them. But it's it's really sweet, and uh, we're so excited to be developing it. We're we're going to be taking it to um, Powerhouse at Faster this summer, which we're really really excited about. So we got our first sort of developmental reading with that opportunity. Um, and then we'll be uh, going to uh, do another developmental opportunity in the fall with this organization called Live and in Color. Um, and we're really excited. These are going to be our two first opportunities to see the whole thing up on its feet and, and you know, work on fleshing out the music with other instrumentalists and orchestrators and kind of fleshing out our team and building up this really queer you know, group of people that we're trusting to kind of babysit our child <laughs> as we, as, as it grows. Um, so we're really excited about that process. And it's been really, really sweet to work with my partner in such close proximity in that way. And we work really, really well together. And um, we feel so passionate about getting to uh, create something that is ours while we're working in something like 1776, you know, to, doing a national tour and um, getting to work on something where we're getting to still flex our own generative and creative muscles. That's amazing. I, I, you know, my eyes on that musical and I can't wait to see where y'all go with it. And I want it to get all the love and support. I think that a lot of folks who want to like allies, folks who want to support seeing more, you know, queer and trans theater, it's sort of twofold, right? Like it's it's reimagining, you know, classics or canonical work, uh, but then it's also really supporting queer creators. And I think sometimes folks forget about that because it's not, perhaps not as well funded, perhaps not as high profile as the other other stuff. And so, what advice do you have for audience members who want to folks in our industry who want to support? queer work but maybe aren't super well versed in finding it yeah I mean it's so interesting because you know we we see all these revivals like 1776 you know where where they're flipping the casting on its head and they're saying like like look this this is how we're bringing queerness and and conversations around gender and the binary into into the theatrical space but I think it's hard for the theater industry at large to trust new creators Mm. I think that the theater industry really, you know, this is the first time in 40 years that there's not been an Andrew Lloyd Webber musical on Broadway since the closing of Bad Cinderella. And that is so interesting to think about the fact that there are a lot of these like big name people who do take up so much space in the industry and make it hard for 
artists who are not guaranteed moneymakers quite yet because they don't have the reputation and the millions behind them um, because they haven't been given the resources to be able to get that kind of support or that kind of success. Um, you know, I say success with quotes, but uh, I, I think that it's hard for this industry to put money behind new artists. So that's why we end up with lots of revivals and and jukebox musicals and things that are doing, are taking incredible strides for queer and trans representation. Like, I do not want to take that away at all. And I'm so glad that we are seeing these steps be taken. Um, but how much more exciting would it be if we were actually hiring these queer and trans bodies to tell stories that were their own? instead of putting them in the context of stories that we're trying to sometimes put a square peg into a round hole or a hat on top of a hat, instead of just letting them tell the stories that are of their own experience and that are not existing in, in the canon. So I think that's one thing that's kind of hard and makes it feel like where, where are these things? Where do we find them? But honestly, I mean, um, Ariella and I, for our musical, we've done um, a lot of sharing our material on TikTok and our, our musical is a road trip musical where this, this couple ends up on a, a road trip after a one night stand for a month and they are in this kind of concentrated situation where they are forced to be very intimate and share a lot of space and time together and and sort of uh, knowing that they have an impending expiration date and um we have a lot of location specific songs um around the united states so we've been sharing some of those on tiktok and we have folks you know from new mexico and from pittsburgh and from you know, all over the country commenting on these songs being like, oh, that's me. Like, I'm that trans mask bear wearing leather in Pittsburgh. Like, I I, I want to be the person in New Mexico who the couple picks up for a threesome. Like, I, you know, these really fun things. And so people are, um, are resonating with these very specific things. So honestly, TikTok is an incredible place to find um, new queer creators, which I, I think is amazing. But also keeping an eye on these... Um, new development resources like Powerhouse at Vassar, like um, uh, Live and in Color, like so many other institutions that are putting their money, their resources, their time behind new artists and new projects. Um, and unfortunately, we're seeing right now a lot of money toward new works kind of be taken away because we're starting to see the financial ramifications of the pandemic in a real way. Um, and so it's it's kind of a hard moment, you know, for for the for the industry at large, but for for people trying to make new work, for trying to trying to get people to want to risk their money, you know, on a new idea or a new thing. So what you can do is is get excited about things and show that you are part of an audience that is wanting to be interested and wanting wanting new content, wanting new musicals. You know, when we get these comments on our TikToks, that is proof that we can show to producers and investors down the line that like, look, there are, there's an audience, there there's interest. So you, by you engaging with content, by you, you know, listening to new musical theater albums on Spotify, by, you know, supporting GoFundMes for new musicals that are trying to get off the ground, all of these different things can, are, are small ways that you can really lend a hand to um, helping new artists get the platform and uh, voice that they deserve to continue adding to the the canon and with, with the more expansive stories and everything. Um, so that's kind of what I would say in terms of looking for how to support and how to how to get your hands in the mud and in terms of um, seeing the new stories that you want to see um, getting the productions they deserve. Thank you for that comprehensive reply. I <laughs> that just I was nodding. I was nodding throughout. And I, I mean, just to say back some of what you're saying, I would say the number one thing that I because I've interviewed this is the. 152nd episode of this podcast. So I have interviewed dozens of queer creators on here and that is the number one thing. And, you know, if you've been a long time listener, hopefully you're paying attention to it. But when I ask, you know, queer and trans creators, like what, you know, what do you need? And it's just money, money and trust. And so I think yeah. just also really framing that for folks who are in leadership positions, especially if you have a built-in audience for several years, gosh darn it, those folks trust your leadership in what you curate. Yeah. And so bring in these powerhouses that, you know, be part of the solution and not the problem of the pipeline, right? Mm -hmm. If you have mm -hmm. a five show season that you're programming, absolutely you can invest, you can and should invest in new works and new new works from historically marginalized, marginalized communities. Like it's just... 
it's not only the right thing to do, but it makes just for better, a better season. Like, gosh, yeah, darn it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Especially if you have, you know, if you have these subscribers and every year you're programming, you know, every other year you're programming the the 12,000th tour of Phantom of the Opera, like you can, you can take that space, give it, redistribute it, give it out, you know? I mean, I think we're in this, I mean, to nerd out, to nerd out and from an arts admin perspective a little bit like this whole subscriber ticket model is it's not sustainable because generationally the folks who are the folks who like that subscription model are you know aging out and and yeah and so folks of you know our generation and younger we're looking at each individual production and deciding yes. if we want to get a ticket to that yes and so 100%. I think I think the other part of this that doesn't get discussed enough is you're bringing in new audience members. You're bringing in, if you program queer content, like we are a powerful community that comes to support our community. And so you're going to be bringing new faces into the theater. And then from an audience perspective, like you don't have to wait till something crappy happens to write your local theater, like be proactive. And it, it's pretty easy to find an info or an artistic director email on a website spend five minutes writing an email saying that seeing, you know, the work of queer and trans artists on stage means something to you because like you said, the more documentation that they get from folks who buy tickets, you get enough of those emails. And, and I hope that, you know, forces them to lean in a little bit. (laughs) The other thing. No, that's so important. Yeah. The other thing that you were talking about that, I really want to unpack for folks that you talked about this being your musical being a story about queer joy. And can you mm-hmm. explain why that's so important to not only support new queer works written by queer folks, but storylines that do not center on identity and trauma? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so much of the problems that, you know, like that I there's okay (laughs) there's so many (laughs) ways to kind of uh come at this question essentially like sometimes straight people will say to me like say to me things like do you watch shows with straight people in them like because the only content that I will be talking about is like you know queer ultimatum on Netflix or like you know this new gay show or that new gay show and I'm kind of like not if I can help it like like I I I prefer to not watch straight shows because I grew up thinking that there were no gay shows. And then like, you know, one day eventually found the L word, thank God. But I, I, when, when there's so there's now for some reason with all of this concentrated representation of queerness happening and kind of like this, like big sweep over the past few years that feels like, Oh my gosh, there's, queer and trans people everywhere. I can't get them off my TV. Like that seems to be what queer people or what straight people are now experiencing that this like inundation of queerness, but it still feels like I am like, okay, I've watched every single queer show that exists that is going to come out this year. And I still want more. There's still not enough. There's still, and, and, and all of that is to say, and, 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 to, and, <laughs> and with all of that, even though there are new queer pieces being made, there's still so much of this work that is centering the struggles and the the trials and tribulations and traumas that queer and trans people experience in a day-to-day life, whether it's about the AIDS epidemic, whether it is about, um, whether it is about, you know, a crime against a trans woman of color, whether it is about, um, you know, uh, uh, so many you know whether it's about coming out whether it's about um about being disowned by your family because these things are you know seen as like of dramatic value these are become the focus of so many stories of queerness because you know they'll make you cry they'll make you they'll pull at your heartstrings they'll make you sympathize for someone you know all these things um but these stories for so long have been the only stories that we have been given access to. And when we as queer people and trans people are so hungry for any kind of content, and then the only content that appears is content that is us being harmed or reliving our traumas live on screen, that is so harmful and so, so hard and also unrealistic because that is 
you know, a small percentage of what we experience walking through this world, you know, there's so much more community, so much more joy, so much more intimacy, so much more love, so much mutual care. And those things are how the community, how our community has survived through those traumas and through those bad things. And those things deserve to be highlighted just as much, if not even way, 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 way more than all of the sad and hard things that we've experienced as a community. And I think obviously it's so important to hold all of that, our past and, and, you know, the thing, the hard things that we are still going through in this community, especially looking at, you know, this country and all the legislation that's um, being dealt with right now. It's important, obviously, to hold that close and learn from it and, and, and continue to uh, fight and, and learn from our, um, our, uh, our queer communities before us, but I, I want us to be able to take up space in happiness and, and enjoy and in these things that feel good and, and something as simple as a rom-com, which is why we decided to make our musical a rom-com because there are so many, so many straight rom-coms. We got like one queer rom, that like big queer rom-com with Kristen Stewart a couple years ago that most people hated because it was a coming out story. And it's like, it's, it's, uh, it's hard for anyone to get behind for some reason. It's hard for people to get behind queers just existing and being happy. Um, so essentially we are trying to get on the boat of showing queer people not existing in spite of their queerness or like, or, 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 you know, because they worked through all these obstacles with their identity, but thriving and like living their like best most realized most true lives being their true selves and embracing all of that and the joy that comes with it and and also like you know giving giving light to like queer community and queer care and like things like top surgery and conversations around like what it's like to carve out a future when there hasn't been representation for queer elders and 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 you know things like that so things that are much more nuanced and, and intricate ideas that are um, experienced by queer people versus like our coming out stories. Like those are such small blips on the radar compared to like the millions of other complicated things that we think about as people who are contemplating the binary and like constructs of the world around us. You know, we have a lot of big things to think about. Um, so I think that we are just so much more than the pain that we've gone through. That was my long, very long-winded answer to that. <laughs> so well said, thank you. And I want to shout out. I know folks had a mixed, mixed reaction to it, but I just really want to shout out Bros, which was Billy Eichner's big-budget romantic comedy. Because I never saw it. It was so. This is delightful. So I live in no northern Wisconsin. It is very rural and very conservative. But uh, so I was really surprised that they even brought Bros. To my little local movie theater but uh -huh. I was able to see it with one of my favorite queer couples and we were the only ones in the theater and so we I don't know if I've ever laughed as hard as I did with my friends and it was a very special thing and um just I really applaud Billy Eichner's commitment to like making sure that I think 97 percent of the cast was queer and trans talent and mm. see it, and he sings in it and it was just it really hearkened I think this was his intention behind it that I've heard in interviews but it really hearkened back to like the big sleepless in Seattle like big blockbuster rom-coms that I would watch as a kid um so yeah. shout out to that if folks haven't even seen it and then <laughs> I don't know have you been watching the other two on HBO yes Yes. If people are not watching this season, oh, the last episode God. specifically does a send-up of Angels in America, which I think they call the gay play with AIDS, and it has like five or six three-hour <sighs> night productions. <laughs> and they talk about this, I haven't heard this phrase, but the character who plays the agent of a high-profile you know, gay movie stars was talking about these press, what he calls prestige roles, right? Which are <laughs> like ones that center on, you know, identity and trauma and coming out. And uh, just folks of any background, if you're not watching, especially this season, 
it's such smart writing and it touches in a funny way on a lot of the stuff that you were just talking about. And so it's a yeah, lot. Yeah. The other two is incredible. In a way. And um, highly recommend. <laughs> Speaking of let's tr- let's pivot to 1776 right because this is one of Great, my let's do it. musicals i just i love the score like just content aside like the score is so beautiful to me and i got to see uh, a production in seattle with a similar concept at the time they called it an all-female revival but folks who were in it including jasmine joshua have since that production come out it's non-binary and trans and stuff and it's it brings such a different energy to the show and a lot of folks i don't know if they know that the you know the creator's son has gone on record and saying i think it's great that we open up casting for the show because if we you know as the estate of 1776 or whatever if we locked in all the male roles need to be played by men we would not have nearly the amount of productions that we do. And I just love someone with that influence going on the record as saying that. How many people have heard that or have that in the back of their head? I don't know. Uh, but let's start from the very beginning, a very nice place to start. <laughs> um, so how did you come to the show? Um, I auditioned for it at the end of 2019. Um, I had just moved to New York and just gotten top surgery and it was like one of my first like couple auditions back from getting top surgery and I went in for it and I was, I had never seen the show before. I was not familiar with it literally at all. Um, and I, when I first got the audition for it, I was kind of like, what in the world do they want with me? Like, what, <laughs> what are they going to do with huh? me here? And, um, so, you know, my, I, I went in and my, and my agents, you know, and the team told me more about what the concept was. And I was like, okay, cool. You know, I can really get behind that. I, you know, I, I've always really felt passionate about as a queer and trans person. I've, I've always really, I, I so, so love working on new musical theater, but I also really do love queering classics. And like, I, I, I would love to play so many of the like leading male romantic roles, you know, like Anthony and Sweeney Todd and, and, and things like that. So, so I went in cause I was, I was excited by it and I, um, had that first audition and then I was, they asked me if I could do a callback, but I unfortunately already had travel plans for the holidays that I couldn't change. And so I was like, shoot, I have to like, not do this callback. I'll have to let this one go. What a bummer. And then it turns out when I came back from my travel, um, I got a call from them and they were like, Hey, we'd like to see you still. And I was like, Oh shoot. Okay. So I, uh, so I went back in and it was honestly kind of quick. I did like two last little appointments. And then pretty much as soon as I walked in the door for my last audition, I got a call from my agent saying that they wanted me. And I was so excited. I, I mean, I was, it was January, 2020. I was uh, a couple years out of college and I just found out that I was going to make my Broadway debut. I had just gotten top surgery, just moved to the city from Philly. I was like, this is amazing. And I, I, you know, I was feeling so grateful and so excited. And then the pandemic hit um, mm. and uh, shutdown happened and Broadway uh, turned its lights off for the first time. And you know how many years and my Broadway debut was postponed indefinitely. Uh, and so we all kind of just went on this, like, it, it was, I mean, they cast so many people who were going to be making their Broadway debuts. So we all went from kind of like getting this really exciting, amazing news to being like, okay, just one second. We think it's going to happen in a few months to like, okay, maybe in six months to like, yeah, we'll let you know if things start to look like Broadway's ever going to open up again to like, okay, here's some dates that we're looking at now. And we went on this, you know, whole journey of for two years of of kind of rescheduling and rescheduling and rescheduling when this run was going to happen. And then it finally came to be. Um, but we, we were lucky and in, in, in the first couple of weeks of the shutdown, they, we ended up being one of the first Zoom workshops, like equities Zoom workshops that happened. Um, and we worked for two weeks on the show um, via Zoom, which was really exciting. And honestly, a very like cathartic time for all of us as we were kind of dealing with a scary moment together and we were all able to come together for several hours a day and just kind of work and focus on something and share space. And, um, it was really meaningful and very cool and a very, um, uh, wonderful start to the process. Yay. And on Broadway, what was the, tr- 
what track did you play and what tracks did you cover? Um, so I play jo- uh, Dr. Josiah Bartlett, who is the uh, delegate for New Hampshire. And I, on Broadway, I covered uh, Judge James Wilson, uh, Secretary Charles Thompson, and George Reed. And uh, now on tour, I still play Dr. Josiah Bartlett and I cover Wilson again and Thompson again, but now I cover Richard Henry Lee as well. <laughs> Yay! That's what a, that song, <laughs> that song is amazing. And I think the actress who plays that role was part of the Drag Isn't Dangerous fundraiser. Is that? Yeah, right? Shauna Hammock. Yeah, she was. That, that was so cool. I, she was the, like the biggest surprise for me watching that. And so, and the fact that she sang Move On from Secret Garden. So, yeah. So yeah, she's amazing. So, okay. 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 So talk about, if you're willing to talk about, what is it? I don't know. Like, what is this question? What does it feel like to, I mean, how was it being on Broadway? I don't know. Like, <laughs> is there gender euphoria present when you portray the, the any of these roles? That's a great question. Um, Yeah, for me, for sure. Um, I, I am a trans masculine person. So I, you know, I walk through the world very masculinely already. And I, and that was actually an interesting thing for me as an actor in the show, kind of finding my sense of movement and how I held my body on stage, because a lot of the folks in the cast are not quite as masculine as I am. And so, um, that it was interesting to think about like other folks were having more of a transition from, um, more traditionally like feminine ways of moving through the world to like transforming into like taking up masculine shapes on stage. And I was like, okay, how do I feel like I'm transforming on stage if I'm already masculine in real life and I'm also being masculine on stage. And that was an interesting kind of, you know, process for me to figure that out, which I do think I found. Um, but I, I think that through that and, you know, like kind of like the place that I've like, I've, I, the, the area where I've placed my voice, my, my character voice when I speak and, and the way that I sing and how I place my voice, you know, the tone, the wider tone of my voice, um, even though the music has all been transposed for higher voices, it feels very affirming for me. Um, it, and, and my coat, I love this. We all wear these gorgeous period coats made by Amelia, Emilio Sosa. Um, and, I am so in love with mine. Mine like matches my eyes and it's velvet and it's just like, it's so gorgeous and it makes me feel so like it makes me feel strong and it makes me feel masculine in like all the ways that, you know, I, I want like an affirming garment to feel. Um, and I also have this base costume that we, we all have these base costumes that we wear that are a bit more um, contemporary. And mine is actually, uh, I wear a shirt that is sheer. Um, so my top surgery scars can be seen the whole show. Um, so that for me, you know, felt very important in creating this costume with Emilio that I, I really wanted to be, you know, I mean, as I walk through the world, you know, walking on the street, I am, I'm a very visibly trans person and I'm fucked quite often. And I wanted to stand on a Broadway stage, like as of, like, I wanted to be so loudly trans on Broadway like I wanted to, I wanted people to not be able to miss that I was trans. I wanted people to, I wanted it to be so clear that they were looking at a trans person on stage and not everyone feels that way. And that is so valid, but that is how I wanted to feel. And that's what it felt like for me to reclaim this space because this casting was, you know, a reclamation of these words and this country and, and this document that was created without any of the bodies that are portraying the story currently in 1776 in mind. And so for me to stand up there so clearly and visibly trans, it feels like I am, I am announcing to both, you know, the founding fathers who completely ignored so many people and um, in, in the writing of the Declaration of Independence and also the legislators and, and, the, and the people who are pro all of this anti-trans legislation right now. I'm proving to them all and and, and showing to them all. And, and it feels like a protest to me that trans people have always existed, that we have always been a part of the uh the the fabric of America and that um and that we always will be and that they cannot erase us or write us out of existence with their laws. And um that we this is our like, this is our country, you know, all of us here, this is our country, and we have the power to rewrite things to include all of us in it, and we should be doing that. Um, so it feels really affirming in in reclaiming and protesting 
my trans American experience on stage. I want to give a huge shout out to your, your be, I, you are being so intentional about the designers and the clothing that you wear to photo ops for this. I just, I, can you talk a little about some of the things that you've worn to, you know, red carpets, step and repeat events because they are breathtaking and I love them. Thank you. Thanks. That's been so fun. That's been like a really sweet part of this process. Um, Ariella and I, since we're a couple, you know, getting to hit these red carpets together, we've been kind of coordinating our, these like very queer looks because we want to be, you know, as queer and as trans as possible yes. um, as we're, when we're showing up. And so for opening night on Broadway, um, we both got these looks that were uh, styled by um, a dear friend of ours, Evie Shuckman, um, uh, otherwise known as Gubbins in NYC on Instagram. Um, and they are this amazing stylist and they hand, like they, they handmade, they found this incredible coat that they thrifted for me. This is gorgeous black, like with silver sparkly pinstripes coat that they like hand added all these accessories to, and then hand painted the phrase, um, trans people have always existed on the back. And that was what, and I wore that with a leather harness and no shirt, um, to opening night and Ariella had a coordinating suit with a, uh, matching leg harness and it was so cool and we felt so like and we both we went to a um a local brooklyn leather worker um who is this sweet trans babe um at golden calf leather on instagram and that was just it was so exciting to get to use like actual trans designers and support them and be able to wear their work um and to also just feel so um in our bodies and so sexy in and and queer and powerful in a in a situation where like it uh like red carpets like it, it, it's kind of vulnerable you know like and, and so it and we'd never done anything like that so it, it we felt like we really wanted to show up feeling like ourselves in the best way possible um and then for tour we've gotten for uh for our la opening we did these sweet looks by the incredible uh trans designer mars Wright, and he uh had these amazing shirts that we both wore that were these um kind of pieces about queer love and loving being queer and um that was a really sweet uh, night too. Cause we, he was like a local LA queer, uh, queer and trans designer that we got to meet and connect with and, um, and support his work and, um, and also feel really like affirmed and um, proud on the, on the, on the opening night, red carpet. Yay. And I'll make sure that I'll make sure that all of those folks that you just mentioned, uh, we'll make sure that they're, candles or website yeah. linked in the episode description so if folks are listening and want to get some pretty cool fits we've got you covered um heck yeah <laughs> i want to talk now about tell me a little bit about this insert for the programs that you helped uh to contribute to and what was that experience like and why why is it important to have materials like that in a playbill? Yeah, um, essentially kind of speaking of my opening night looks, that um, coat that I wore to opening night of Broadway, the trans people have always existed. Um, it ended up getting ran in an art, well, uh, essentially got an article written about it in Breitbart. That oh, like okay. super uh, extremist, you know, Steve Bannon uh, publication. <laughs> um and uh, they, you know, misgendered me, talked about my body, you know, I put my, I, all kinds of harmful things. Um, so that happened and I went to Roundabout and I said, uh, hey, um, I would like to be a bit more proactive. Um, I, this just happened. And I'm also, you know, I'm leaving the stage door at night and I'm wanting to interact with the people who've seen the show with the patrons and the fans and stuff. But I... I'm getting misgendered a lot. People are coming up and saying, great job, ladies. They're saying you women were gorgeous. I love the all-female cast. And even though, you know, everywhere roundabout and and all of our producing entities, ART networks have all been really good about um, making sure that it is very clear that this is a cast of trans trans non-binary people and women. And um, so... Uh, I was just like, it, what we've done so far, I think it's just maybe not enough. And so we, I kind of got in, into a meeting with the folks at Roundabout, their education folks and, and the executives there. And um, we just kind of, I, I pitched the idea. I was, I was like, what if there was something that every audience member touched, you know, like, like every, every person comes into the theater and like 
unless you were running late or like you missed the usher, everyone touches a playbill. And, um, and I think that playbills, you know, they're used mostly for like advertising and, you know, all these kinds of things. And it's like, sure. Like, I understand the value in that and what's being done there, but like, this is really valuable space. Like that, like the fact that most people are actually looking through this, like this is a really, really valuable opportunity to connect with your audiences. And so, um, essentially I, I went back to the other gender expansive folks in the cast. And I was like, Hey, we came up with this idea roundabouts down to make it happen. And we came up with the language for this document that, um, sort of kind of had like a kind of trans vocab 101, um, little section on it and was kind of like, here's like you, uh, it kind of started being like 1776 and gender. Um, so you see us talking about our cast as female trans and non-binary, um, our cast is full of gender expansive people. What does gender expansive mean? Um, and then kind of, you know, defines non-binary, trans, pangender, you know, all, all these different identities and um, explains, um, you know, why some people might use different pronouns and, you know, just kind of, it's, it's all in this little one sheet. Um, and for Broadway, this ended up being like this gorgeous uh, color printed little pamphlet that was put inserted in, into every program for every performance. Um, and that was really special. It was, you know, to get to... Like, it, it, I know that it, you know, it costs money to, to do these things, you know, like to have it on a nice glossy piece of paper that was color printed and for every patron at every performance, like that was, that was a really um, big effort. And I so appreciate, you know, um, institutions starting to put money behind doing this kind of work because that's, you know, really what it comes down to is what, when institutions are willing to put the money behind the the words, you know, and, and willing to put their money where their mouth is and around about totally did that there was the occasion and they said let's do it and made it happen very quickly too which was so amazing and I was so grateful and um yeah so then we became like like as far as I know like one of the first houses on Broadway to have like an actual like resource for folks to understand more about transness than they did when they walked in the room um and there was also a QR code on there that could take you to resources to practice pronouns and you know learn a little bit more and other resources if you want to do more in-depth reading or listening to podcasts or whatever um so that was that was so cool and now for tour that's actually been implemented and printed into the playbill itself so it's no longer a loose piece of paper but it's actually like under one of the pages where it has all the whole cast names and everything like that on it so it's it's even uh it's not something that could fall out, you know, it's something that's like actually in there. So um, that feels really exciting, you know, that, that that's a change that's been made like fundamentally in the structure of the playbill itself, like, you know, um, so that's been super important. And the fact like I've, I've gotten, you know, through social media or through meeting people after the shows, I've connected with both, you know, allies and trans people who felt really moved or supported or encouraged by seeing that. And I've heard of other shows and other institutions trying to um, implement similar things now, which is really, really exciting because I think that um, if you are going to be hiring trans people, you should be doing everything you can to make it a safe work environment for them. And that includes doing what you can to make the people that are going to be around them and interacting with them um, to, to provide them with all the tools they have to um, treat trans people with respect. Absolutely. Thank you for unpacking that. and. I don't know. Do you know James Rose? No. So she's wonderful. I became aware of her because uh, John Jarbo directed a production oh. of Hedwig that she starred in. And ah. so I love, I hate that these things happen to folks in our community. I love when something, I love when something productive or I love when something happens afterwards that sort of normalizes the karma balance for a lack of a better yeah. way of saying it. And so for folks who are listening, if you haven't checked this out yet, it's pretty great. So she woke up in the last, it's in this last week or so to find that she and Dylan, the Bud Light Dylan, I forget her last name. Yeah. Uh, uh, um, yeah. Dylan Mulvaney. Yes. Uh, had been, used in one of Trump's new campaign ads. And Ugh. so it was like, holy crap. She's she's in a production of Cabaret as one of the Kit Kat girls at Barrington stage. And I wanted to shout that out because the way that they handled it was really lovely and said, mm -hmm. we'll release a statement. 
you take the time you need. But then the thing that brings me such joy is she submitted the receipts from this horrible thing happening to her and got verified on Instagram because of it. (laughs) 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 You know, her Instagram really iconic stories and like she posted a poll of should I do this? And uh, she and I think it was less than 24 hours after submitting it. And so, folks, it's James is smiling on Instagram. Uh, that might be one of my favorite wow. examples of making lemonade out of. That's incredible. That's really incredible. Absolutely. Um, can we talk a little bit about touring and what that's been like? Because I think I wrote a piece for I was asked to write a piece for American Theater about at the beginning of the year about anti-trans legislation and how it has the potential to affect, you know, plays as well as drag performance. And it's interesting to me because I've listened to some of the testimony on some of the hearings, which is an experience in and of itself. Mm-hmm. But when folks, when these legislators tend to talk about theater, they're talking about the two instances that come up a lot are Peter Pan and Shakespeare, right? Because Peter Pan is a role that has been traditionally uh-huh. played by, you know, petite women. And then yeah. Shakespeare, just the Shakespeare of it all. But this production is something that the way that these laws are are worded are purposefully vague so that the folks enforcing them, if they do pass, can have a very wide range of subjective judgment and that mm-hmm. is terrifying. Um, but to your level of comfort, can you share what it's been like touring and maybe advice that you would want to give to either other trans or non-binary actors who are, you know, who may be going on tour in the future or producing entities that want to help trans and queer talent um, with the back, you know, this backdrop of these legislation efforts? Yeah, um, totally. Honestly, my advice is to have really transparent conversations about security from day one. Like I, that was the first thing we did in our very first meeting going on to, in, into our first day of tour. Um, you know, I, I raised my hand and um, among other non-binary and queer folks in the cast. And we said, what are you doing to keep us safe um, there? And we, we have since then been, you know, in email dialogue and had several meetings with our producers um, to hold them accountable. And they are doing what they are doing what they can on their end to um, find out what they need to find out before we get to these states to keep us safe. Um, they've already taken precautions in places such as Tennessee, um, where luckily we've just found out that the governor has ruled the drag ban there unconstitutional, right. which is wonderful. Um, and hopefully that we will see many more of those happening. Um, but we were very, we, I was very personally nervous about going to Tennessee because of that, because, um, you know, we've already started to see videos of how these, um, you know, bathroom laws are just igniting people to and like act on their hate. And it's just, it's really scary. And, um, so I, I was feeling really nervous about Tennessee with with all of this and the ways that they've been asking, you know, even big, huge, famous stadium performers to not bring drag performers on stage. And, you know, there's been all kinds of intimidation in terms of that. And um, but we, you know, our, our team got on it and they, you know, very quickly um, changed our hotel to make it closer to the theater and give us a shuttle service. So that way, you know, if we don't feel comfortable walking home at night after work or you know even being out in public we can have the safety of you know door-to-door service and security and all of that um we have been you know I asked the question I was I, I asked the very blunt question to our producers I said if I were to get arrested in one of these states because I am trans or if I were to get the cops called on me because of one of these laws whether or not at the end of the day I could be charged for whatever it was because of the vague language of these laws. If the cops could still get called on me just for using the bathroom, for walking down the street, for being somewhere in public, for performing on this stage, just because the laws could possibly, like I could possibly not get charged because of this language doesn't necessarily mean that the cops will not be called and that there will not be something scary that happens. Um, And so I asked the blunt question. I said, if something were to happen, would networks bail me out? Like, would networks financially step up because I was in a state because of my place of work, because of where I'm at, because I was not in a state where 
um, uh, I would be otherwise other than for if, if it were not for my employment. Um, and, and these are tough conversations to have and scary things to ask your employers, but I, you know, for the safety of myself and my community and the people in my cast who are like me, I don't feel comfortable with us going to these places without knowing these things. Um, and our employers should know these answers and they were able to figure out the answers and, and, um, come back to, you know, us with information that satisfied us and made us feel safe enough to continue working and to do what we need to do. And, um, currently we're in North Carolina. Um, and we just went to Durham, which actually was a very, very queer experience for us, which was really delight, a delightful surprise. And, um, someone told me it was the lesbian capital of the South, which was, a, you know, an incredible surprise to find. <laughs> Um, and it was, it was, it was so queer friendly, which was such a delight. Um, now we're in, uh, where are we? We are in Charlotte, North Carolina now. Next we go to, or next we go to Greenville, South Carolina. Um, and then we kind of make our way through the South. We'll hit Tennessee. We'll hit Houston, Texas. Um, we're going to Kansas city at some point. Um, yeah. So, you know, we're kind of making our way through, you know, on that, on, if you've seen that map of like places that is unsafe that that Aaron Reed has made that amazing journalist who I'm obsessed with who's so great at documenting all of this anti-trans legislation um uh she's made this amazing map that's a resource of essentially like the varying degrees of danger for trans folks in all of the 50 states and um uh we're kind of making our way through some of the the red ones right now the more dangerous looking ones but um I'm I'm grateful that you know we are um I'm, I'm here with my partner. I have this amazing, you know, queer community of folks in this cast and, you know, other folks in the cast as well, but we have a sweet little, you know, queer crew amongst us here. Right. And, um, and we are like a really big family, this company that's traveling on the road and I feel so safe and protected um, and, and supported. And um, so essentially, yeah, I, I think like making sure that you, if, if you, if you are feeling unsafe, please tell your people, the people that are in charge of you, the people that are responsible for keeping you safe because it is their job and um and you should not feel shy about asking them to do their job well um and and if there's more clarity that you're needing or if their answers are not enough for you keep asking um and 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 until you feel satisfied because that's you know as as queer and trans people right now in this country we need to prioritize our safety um and um and if there are and, and, you know, if we're lucky enough to be employed by people who are able, who have resources to support us and protect us, then we should take advantage of that. Um, so that's, that's what we've been doing over here. Um, and it's, you know, it's, it's unprecedented and it's unfortunate. And, you know, I'm, 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 I'm hopeful that this will, this will pass, but it, but it is a scary time to be, um, to be transit in this country. It really is. Yeah. And two things can be true, right? Like we can be experiencing profound queer and trans joy and community, especially and hopefully during Pride Month. And we can also have that like danger, danger, (laughs) hypervigilance thing. Yes. It's not. Yeah. I think what the thing that I want, I personally want, you know, our allies to know more than anything is it's always there and it's not an overreaction and I think one of the challenges I've been going through is like is like communicating that to the people I care about right who are who are who are Mm -hmm. not in the LGBTQIA plus community and saying like no it's still bad no actually getting worse and and I have to do everything else right I have yeah I still have to work a job and make sure my dog gets fed and you know do all these other you know pedestrian kind of things and you know worry about my existence and like okay holy crap i don't feel safe going to target etc 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 and so both things can be true and that's why like i just need allies to like do some of the homework themselves more than ever because it's not hard like if you do one thing to if you're listening to this podcast and you do one thing today follow aaron reed follow her work yeah she is on top of it. I'm subscribed to her um, her updates that she sends via email. I think it's something like yeah, four or five dollars a month. Yeah, you it's, know, it's so it's such an incredible resource, and it's also like 
when there's a lot of really alarmist language about these laws that feels really scary that's out there, she's really great about dialing it down and being like, this is actually what it is, like, and and making it, you know, either pointing you to what actually you should be scared of or what you don't need to actually be scared about and, and, and helping you, um, and, and, and keeping you up to date in terms of like how these bills are moving, because sometimes you hear about a bill and then you don't hear about whether it passed or whether, you know, it's hard to, there's hundreds of them right now. So it's, it's crazy, but she's doing an amazing job and she feels like a really calming um, resource for me and all of the madness. Same, same. <laughs> I have two more questions for you. Uh, first Great. is how do you, how do you recharge? How do you, you know, refill your cup? Because I think some of what you're sharing is not an uncommon experience for folks in, for trans and queer folks in shows where there's, there's work on top of the work of performing, whether that is Mm -hmm. something that you're choosing to do or something that you feel that you have to do for your own safety or the safety of others. So how do you, yeah, how do you refill your cup? How do you recharge? How do you, how do you sort of charge up that, you know, emotional labor part of your being um, when it's depleted? Honestly, I, I'm, I'm, I'm like a pretty big introvert. I, sp- I like to spend a lot of time like recharging by watching some good queer TV and like having a good day sitting at home or like doing something like having a really nice day with my partner, like on tour, it's been nice to go and have like a sweet little day where we explore town and like, or go find a couple of fun things and go on a little adventure for the day before the show at night or whatever. Those, those are really sweet ways to recharge. And, and we've been trying to find queer spots in pretty much every city we go to, which we've, we've seen drag in almost every city, I think, except two of them. Um, and we're like, we're, we're up, we're up to, we're, we're on pretty high now. So, so we've done good so far and we've gone to a queer venue and every, in every city and, um, doing stuff like that is really, really sweet. And, um, and, and, and feels like really, um, like a really big, a really big source of like how I recharge, like just, yeah. Connecting, connecting to a community, I think would be my answer. That's a good one. It's a good one. Um, and then I just like to end with like, what's, what's next where, you know, where can people find you online to support your work? And also if you want to drop some specific bucket list roles, I think now is a delightful time to do so. (laughs) oh man um bucket list roles I mean I would say like Fiero and Wicked yeah um um I mean like when I'm older do I want to play Phantom and the Phantom of the Opera and like whatever weird queer revival happens in like 20 years probably (laughs) um Um, I mean, I'd love to be like Mark in Rent, um, or Roger even, um, you know, those classic guys. I just love, a. I, what can I say? I love a brooding guy. I love a guy <laughs> who's really going through it. I just, I want to, you know, I, I, there's not, there just aren't the roles for queer and trans masculine people to, uh, to sing their angst out, you know, also Spring Awakening, of course, like any guy in Spring Awakening would love. Um, those are great ones. Yeah, I'd say those. Um, and in terms of finding what's next and, and, and where you can find me, um, you can find me on Instagram. That's probably where I'm the most present. Um, but present is like even a strong word. Um, but that's sav with four A's and two V's. I'm sure we'll put it in the notes. Um, and uh, TikTok, my partner and I have a TikTok for both kind of like being in 1776 as a couple and sharing our uh, clips from our musical. And you can find us on TikTok at sav and Ariella um and uh yeah well we we have we're going to we have these two developmental opportunities for we start in manhattan coming up uh this summer and this fall and if you're someone who who takes the trip up to powerhouse at vassar to see new work come on up and check out our show um uh but uh stay tuned otherwise on social media to see what comes next um for this project yay thank you just my heart is so full right now. So thank you for taking the time, wishing you the best of 
of luck and safety for the rest of the tour and very excited to see that's that word again excited uh what happens next in what i'm sure is going to be a long and illustrious career in our industry thank you so much Woodzik. thank you so much for having me today this was so delightful to talk to you yay thank you for listening to the theatrical mustang podcast i'm your host and producer Woodzik. This episode of the podcast was edited by C.J. Higgins and distributed by American Theatre Magazine. If you like what you heard, please like, share, and subscribe. Tune in each month for new interviews with artists and cultural trailblazers.